Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 213. Well, just ahead, Amazon's lifeline to the electric vehicle maker Rivian. It's gotten a little bit tighter. And a new way to make semiconductors is gaining some steam. A controversial look at a controversial stock. And let's take a deep dive into the housing market. Look at a mortgage service provider, the Mr. Cooper Group. CEO Jay Bray joins us for a really interesting conversation that takes the temperature of housing right now. But first, right now, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind some stocks on the move, some hot stocks. Isaac, Isaac Webster, our executive producer, joining us from Los Angeles. I'm all the way on the other side of the country in New York. I love a hot stock. I don't know if I love this hot. It's been humid here, dude. Yeah, not like so we don't get that kind of humidity in California. This wimpy San Francisco boy now, I, I just, I've got all the New York beat out of me. I can't take this. I ran a, how did you, did you a nice 4th of July? I did, Isaac. I did. How about yourself? What'd you do? Uh, hung out at the house, uh, had a okay. little pool day, watched the fireworks from a front, front lawn. I yeah, ran a, uh, I ran a four miler, a, 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 uh, fireworks, four miler, whatever. Okay. Uh, uh, and it was great. It was humid. It was hot. I ran well. You sweat a lot. Oh yeah. So there's, there's less of me, which is <laughs> kind of the whole point of the thing. <laughs> We're all happy about that. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Rivian, a company we haven't talked a lot about when we look at the world of electric vehicles. Uh, Rivian, a very popular car is here in LA. Um, Rivian trades under- to be specific, a pickup truck, right? Yeah, and they have an SUV that's pretty cool looking. Um, Rivian, and they also have that sedan. Um, Rivian trades under RIVN. And shares have jumped uh, 42% over the last five trading sessions and are now higher by 13% since the start of 2023. What's going on with Rivian? Yeah, big move in the stock um, after the announcement. You know, automakers do this interesting thing where they don't, before they give you earnings results, they talk about how many vehicles they made in the quarter. Um, And that's been a particularly exciting number, um, really for all the automakers, Tesla maybe more than any, but Rivian, uh, uh, very much a startup. And you, the questions are, how much can they produce? And then the secondary questions of how effectively, how profitably, where are they going? Are they going to a cheaper, you know, more promotional vehicle or are they going for a more expensive vehicle? In the case of Rivian, there's the relationship with Amazon and their largest uh, investor and shareholder um, and their largest customer. So we got some information about Rivian uh, and all of it pretty bullish for the stock. Second quarter production uh, nearly tripled uh, year over year. They made uh, nearly 14,000 vehicles. Uh, they sold uh, uh, 12,640, 
So they sold virtually everything that they made. Um, and they announced uh, that they're also going to start delivering vehicles in Germany to Amazon, 300 vehicles going to Amazon. Um, they announced that uh, uh, the day before they announced these uh, production numbers or the, the, the work day. They announced one on, on the Monday before uh, 4th of July. They announced the, the delivery numbers on the day after 4th of July. And the resulting fireworks happened in the Rivian stock, as you mentioned, uh, stock chart going straight up and to the right. Now, the the German order is not a huge surprise. Amazon had already made uh, a, a promise that they were going to order 100,000 vehicles. Uh, they made that promise back in 2019. And they've got 3,000 operating already in 500 cities in the U.S. I saw a bunch when I was in Seattle uh, in May on the roads of, uh, of the Puget Sound. Uh, but interestingly... What they're doing in terms of what kinds of vehicles they're making and choices they're making for their consumer vehicles uh, is the opposite of Amazon. Amazon going down market, going down market, promotional, uh, lower gross margins we expect when we see their numbers, uh, we, we surely an effect on the operating margins as well. Rivian's going up market. And their, uh, their comparisons to last year's uh, vehicles um, at, were, were the pre-orders that they had when people said, I'll buy whatever you've got. Well, now they're offering new stuff, new new trim, new uh, uh, finishes on the car, on the vehicles. And and uh, uh, and the result is, the suggestion is that they're going to kind of move up market. Here is the chief financial officer of Rivian, Claire McDonough, speaking at a recent investor conference, talking about how what they've learned in their operations is changing the types of these new orders. Now we know what those new orders numbers are. But here's her kind of pre-announcing what types of orders are going to be in that mix. Claire McDonough of Rivian. As we move beyond our March 1st, 2022 a cohort of pre-orders and also introduce new, you know, higher ranges, new trim packages that enable us to increase that average selling price over time as well. Beyond gross profit, the next key area for us is, is beginning to leverage all of our operating expenses within the business. So as you think about the production ramp this year, we'll be you know, approximately doubling our production from 25,000 units to 50,000 units, while we're also increasing <laughs> our overall operating expenses in the low single digits. So significant scale and leverage as we scale the business. Uh, and really leverage all of the processes and systems that we're building uh, to scale for the long term. And so there you have it, uh, the suggestion that Rivian's going to be making more valuable vehicles with better margins for the company, and yes, getting to profitability. Does that mean they're going to raise prices? Yeah, absolutely. It means that, well, it, it sounds like what they're doing is actually just offering a more a better vehicle or a different vehicle that comes with a higher price. So uh, uh, apples to apples, I don't know, but uh, right. they're offering some oranges, fancy oranges. I got to say, oranges. tangentially, uh, you know, every Rivian owner I've talked to here in LA, I've never heard one complaint. Yeah, but they always say that when they spend so much money in those. Whoever buys an expensive car and says, this thing stinks. Well, I, I know a number of those people too. <laughs> Did I tell you when the market for a new car? No. What do you think? Did I tell about? you why? No, why? Because my car got stolen while I was here in New York. My car what? got stolen in front of my swanky home in the Bay Area. Yeah. Really? Yeah, right after I got here. Wow. Well, um, good things Rivian's coming out with these new, new cars. Welcome to San Francisco. I know, it could be a Rivian in my future. Yeah. I'm open, uh, listeners, I'm open to suggestions. So please, <laughs> light me up on Twitter. Yeah. Tell me what I got. 
Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at a company called Wolf Speed. Have you heard of Wolf Speed before? I have uh, only because I think we've talked about Wolf Speed at some point last year. I'd have to go through my notes. Did we, we haven't talked about Wolf Speed in that. a while. Um, but Wolf Speed trades under Wolf, W O L F, and shares have jumped straight up within the last five trading sessions, getting 17%. Still lower by almost 7%, though, over the past 12 months. What's new with Wolf Speed? Controversial company. 15% of the float is sold short. Ah. And although maybe you maybe don't remember Wolfspeed, but Wolfspeed used to be called Cree, or the assets of Wolfspeed used to be part of Cree, a controversial company, a, a target of, of short sellers for years and years about concerns about their ability to make LED lights that were manufactured uh, in the same f uh, uh, process as, as semiconductors might be. Um, uh, and they, they, the company's kind of split up into different pieces. And this piece, this piece that tries to make um, uh, chips uh, or chip wafers, I should say. So in order to make a semiconductor, right, you need a wafer. And the wafer is usually made of silicon. And then that silicon is carved up and programmed and whatever. Um, and the uh, interestingly, um, these are, are, are wafers that are made by, by Wolfspeed, not from silicon, but from silicon carbide, right? The combination of silicon and carbon. Remind me and what that the, is. Well, theoretically, uh, this is a better wafer uh, silicon carbide um, will let uh, uh, a different kind of wafer. It's what they call a wide band gap semiconductor material. So uh, the energy difference uh, between AC and DC uh, that can that can be transferred in the silicon carbide um, lets it go hotter. So higher thermal characteristics. Um, uh, uh, electronic properties are different compared to tradi traditional silicon. So it can run again at higher temperatures, different wider frequencies, uh, different voltages. And the place where that's most useful is, speaking of Rivian, electronic vehicles. There you so go. These EVs um, have a drivetrain uh, inversion inverter. Uh, and, and like all inverters, it's converting from AC to DC and back and forth, right? And so the idea that these can run hotter and um, you can replace existing silicon switching technologies with these advanced uh, silicon carbide chips would reduce the amount of energy loss in the inverter and that means a car could go far further between charges. How much further? Maybe 4% or 8%, but they'll take what they can get. And it's an interesting business for these guys. And um, they announced some deals in the last week, some financing deals, uh, where it looked like they just weren't gonna be able to get there without a lot more money. And among the deals they announced uh, just now, um, a 10-year supply agreement with Renaissance, uh, and a Renaissance, I think it's pronounced, I think it's a Japanese company, uh, and a $2 billion deposit, very crucial for this company oh, wow. that's trying to get these new facilities up and working, not least of which a big semiconductor wafer facility. You're thinking where in Taiwan or in China or in maybe in Phoenix or, or uh, no, upstate New York in the Mohawk Valley, big oh. 200 millimeter plant uh, built by um, Wolfspeed. Uh, with help from or hoped help from for more financing from President Biden's uh, Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, and other types of government help. The company is suggesting about a month ago in some conversations that they were having with investors, uh, in particular at a William Blair uh, growth stock conference on June 7th, the, and I don't usually quote investor relations people, but uh, Tyler Gromback, the vice president of external affairs for Wolfspeed, had this really interesting 
look at um, uh, what the U.S. CHIPS Act could provide for these guys in terms of funding and other government actions by the Biden White House that might actually help this company build their facilities and offer their products. Here is Wolfspeed's Tyler Gronbach. The U.S. CHIPS Act provides some interesting avenues of funding to to where, like in the Inflation Reduction Act, we get a 25 percent cash rebate on our taxes for the next several years for any kind of manufacturing that we put in for semiconductors. And so Siler City, our materials footprint will be a perfect you know, fit for that. But as Jed talks about 48D, we kind of knew in our conversations with Treasury and Commerce that in their initial rulemaking process, they were not open-ended on silicon carbide. They were looking for, uh, you know, companies like Wolfspeed to provide some commentary on how should that fit into this Reg 48D. And so they asked for public comments and we provided what we think is a good roadmap because we think compound semis should be an important part of the CHIPS Act strategy. And and aside from 48D, another really positive development is we, you know, the 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 US Geological Services has a critical mineral list of something that they look at annually. And we petitioned to get silicon carbide on the critical mineral list. And we just learned last week that the Department of Energy believes that that's the right choice. So there's some additional discussion and consideration goes on. But once again, if, if silicon carbide is designated as a critical mineral, that bolsters our 48D application and the potential funding that we could get out of the U.S. government to expand our capacity footprint. So, you know, we had President Biden at the campus about two months ago, month and a half ago. Um, you know, we've we've had an opportunity to talk with folks at Treasury and Commerce. So we're feeling very good about the opportunity to get some U.S. funding for our expansion. So, yeah, that expansion coming from government programs, uh, Isaac, and the crucial materials that they're using um, could be a real big boost to this company and could be coming soon. And of course, the short sellers are betting that that's not going to happen. Corey, what's your next drill down? Well, let's look at Greenbrier. Uh, Greenbrier uh, trades under GBX and shares have gained 30% over the past five trading sessions. Just a straight up shot like a rocket um, over the past five trading sessions and they've gained, GBX shares have gained 22% over the past 12 months. What is Greenbrier? I don't know this company. Well, now I, I would love to talk about this company in terms of what they do uh, with technology. I'm sure their ESG profile is super interesting, but the, at the end of the day, what these guys make are bo big boxes of steel. It's a, it's a billion dollar market cap uh, company that makes railroad cars. And they're having a fantastic run right now. They are just getting orders after orders. And when they announced the most recent quarter, it was a strong quarter, beat expectations, blah, blah, blah. But the headline, they had new rail car orders in the last quarter, 4,600 uh, units, $650 million. But after the end of the quarter, they received almost 8,000 orders for new units at nearly a billion dollars. So their backlog is now at 23,400. That's almost $3 billion worth of rail car. It's just a fantastic wow. quarter for those guys. Um, and why? Well, there's some pent up demand. So there's still a COVID unwinding happening. All in particular, all of the supply problems that the U.S. had uh, uh, to make automobiles, a lot of that are on semiconductors, as we were describing earlier in the show, meant U.S. automakers couldn't make cars reliably. 
Their numbers were way, way down. It's taken them quite a while to come back. Now those numbers are coming back. Automakers are making cars. They're all probably rushing to my door to sell me one. <laughs> At least so. one. Could be more than one in my near future. But yes, looking for these, these, these cars are now being made. How do the cars get to customers? On trains. So the, the, the train, rail cars that transport automotive in particular are seeing a real big pickup, uh, as are the, the tanker cars, but uh, the automotive sector, just tremendous pent-up demand. Here's Brian Comstock, who is the Greenbrier Company's uh, executive VP and chief commercial leasing officer, talking about the business and economic conditions that's finally unlocking this cycle. Undoubtedly, um, when you look at the uh, traffic uh, side of the equation, um, you know, Velocity is improving a bit. Um, there's a number of segments that are down, but there's a number of segments in the rail industry that are still fairly robust. Auto, uh, there's a tremendous amount of uh, pent-up demand. There's a number of uh, new facilities coming online. There's several new plastic pellet facilities that come online in late 2024, early 2025. Biodiesel continues to be uh, fairly robust and uh, a lot of new uh, facilities coming online uh, in that area as well. And then you still have a tremendous amount of um, retirements of older cars as well as uh, a small number of cars in storage. So while there are some headwinds um, in the uh, overall outlook, the build cycle still looks fairly level, um, at least we believe so over the next, uh, you know, 18 to 36 months, um, pending any, you know, major uh, change in the economic conditions. So rail cars and lots of them, and yes, lots of car cars on their way, Isaac. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at the mortgage business, the mortgage servicing business. Really interesting time with mortgages right now with, with a very limited number of houses out there, rates surging and yet some interesting opportunities for the lenders, none more important than Mr. Cooper, Mr. Cooper Group CEO, Jay Bray, joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Mr. Cooper Group CEO, Jay Bray. Yes, we're hanging with Mr. Cooper. Jay, um, I'm sorry, the 1990s <laughs> references are lost on most, but not on all. Um, Mr. Cooper Group, interesting exactly. company. Um, I think that conversations about your mortgage business is often about rates. I think that's also one of the least interesting things. Um, are you sick of getting questions about <laughs> what are you going to do when rates go up? Your business is going to end. <laughs> yes. Very tired of receiving those questions. And, um, but that's all anybody wants to talk about, you know, and uh, why totally do you get in the business? That's for sure. So why, why do you think you get those questions so much? Well, if you think about it, you know, the, uh, underlying origination market. So if you're buying a home or you're refinancing your home, um, interest rates matter. Like, you know, the higher the interest rate, it's certainly, it makes it much more difficult to buy a new home or refinance an existing one. And so if you look at the macro market, the overall new originations, you know, buying of homes is way, way down. I mean, if you go back a couple of years ago, it was a 
four trillion plus market. This year, it's probably going to be one and a half trillion. So it's uh, it's had a dramatic impact on that side of the business. And so I think that's why you get the question. The and maybe the, our service maybe the people business. asking the questions are that mo- that that as we always talk about that moment of buying your first house or buying any house is a big one. And so it's a, it's a time that people are really thinking more, maybe more about that. Whoever's asking that question is coming from that, uh, that perspective. <laughs> that's their big thought. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but in fact, your business really is, is about servicing mortgages uh, more than anything. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's where I was, um, want to talk a little bit about Corey. I mean, if you look at our company today, we're the largest, you know, non-bank servicer and we're the third, largest servicer in the country. And so we have over 4 million customers uh, that, you know, we are the, we're the ones that provide the services around making their payments, around managing their escrow, really anything to do with their home mortgage, um, you know, servicing is in, is in the middle of that. And you guys are on this, this trillion dollar goal. Talk about that. Well, you know, look, we have a, uh, We've grown a lot over the years. If you looked back at the last financial crisis, um, there was a real need for strong servicers. And we really stepped in and we think we made a big difference in keeping people in their homes because we're really good at helping people, you know, go th- as they go through life events, they lose a job, et cetera. You know, a servicer plays a big role in helping somebody keep their home by finding a modification solution, et cetera. So we grew the business a lot post the last crisis, you know, kind of, you know, grew over 30% compound annual growth rate for, you know, over a decade, which put us really, you know, on the pace to where we're at today to kind of hit that trillion pretty soon. And if I, and if we hit that, I think we'll be the largest servicer, you know, in the country. And, you know, I think there's real need for, you know, strong servicers out there, as I mentioned, to kind of help help borrowers navigate their way through the home ownership. So it's something that we've kind of rallied behind is, is getting to that number. And with this, with these rising rates, and you've talked about this uh, elsewhere, but the, the, um, uh, the cash out refi, right? The people have got a lot of home equity. They need some cash. The, the, even though rates are higher, they're refiing uh, because they've got some life event or some credit card debt or something. How big a part of that business is, uh, is that business for you right now in terms of your overall business and how, how fast is that growing? It's, uh, if you look at our origination business, it's the majority of it. I mean, you know, probably 80 plus percent of the origination business today is, you know, what you would call a cash out uh, refinance. And it's grown considerably. And it's, you know, still growing. To your point, you know, we've seen such strong home price appreciation over the last, you know, decade that, People have a ton of equity in their home. And, you know, most of our borrowers, you know, when they go through that process, they're taking out, you know, even anywhere from $50,000 to $75,000 and using that for, to pay down other debts, using that to, you know, help pay for college, do remodel some piece of their house. And so it's a major piece of, of the market today. And maybe if you've got $40,000 in credit card debt at 18%, Refining from 3% to 5% isn't that big a deal. Exactly. You know, your monthly savings. I mean, you know, a lot of consumers, they focus on, you know, what, you know, their monthly cash flow and how can they impact that cash flow in a positive way. And to your point, when you convert 
18% debt to 6% debt, it's, it's a meaningful monthly savings. So, okay, let's put the debt conversation aside because you can't control the weather. You can't control the interest rate environment. But what you can control, I think, is so interesting, what you guys have done on the servicing side. And I think that a lot of our listeners, regardless of whatever industry they're in, have probably got some takeaways about what you've done in terms of efficiency. I heard someone once describe your business uh, in a complimentary way as your factory. And yeah. the efficiencies in your factory, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how many steps are there, for example, to close a mortgage and how have you changed the sort of time or the process in those steps? Well, you know, from a servicing standpoint, you know, there are, you should think about that as, you know, the borrower's making their payment. Um, and so and there's many ways to make that payment, right? There's the escrow process. So, you know, paying your taxes, paying your insurance. And then there's, you know, anywhere from if you're from a delinquency status you know, all the way through a more severe, you know, bankruptcy, foreclosure, et cetera. So there's, you know, thousands of, you know, honestly processes within, you know, the entire servicing business. And what we've really done is focus on how do we make that, you know, uh, less painful for the customer? How can we take out some friction? You know, if you think, if you go back again, 10, 15 years, everything was paper-based, right? You had to, if you wanted to change your escrow, if you wanted to change the way your payment was made, it was very paper-based. And now we've built digital tools that allow you as a consumer to really do anything you want online. And that's, that's really changed the game. If you look at the COVID crisis we had uh, in March of 2020, you know, the government put, it, put in place a, a number of different plans one was called a forbearance plan where you could basically postpone making your payments until you you know got back on your feet from a covid employment situation we put that we put a digital tool in place there for in 2 weeks and that allowed a customer all they needed to do was go online basically two clicks you know i have been impacted by covid i want to enter, enter into a forbearance plan they're done and they didn't have to make a payment and so you sh- you know Factory is not a glamorous term, but it is it is a it is a you know platform that has many 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 steps similar to a factory, and we are always looking for ways to drive efficiency there to make it a better experience for the customer. So, what has that meant in terms of cost for you, or cost for processing, or, or managing a, an individual mortgage? Um, you know, I, I would imagine a customer service call, for example, costs you somewhere from five to $10 per call, right? If someone gets through and they've got to sort through a problem. So if you can get them to do it online, you save, you tell me how much? A lot. To your point, a call is on average around 10 bucks. And, you know, depends on the complexity of the call, but that that's what the average looks like. So if we can actually, you know, uh, allow that customer, to give that customer the ability to self-serve, you immediately, you know, take away the cost of handling that customer. And so, you know, we've always set a goal of reducing our costs, you know, 10 to 15 percent a year. When you look at the number of, you know, customer service representatives that we need today versus what we used to need, you know, it's it's a third. Uh, and we think we can, you know, reduce that number, which allows us to take, you know, our remaining customer service agents and they're kind of like the Green Berets. So if you really have a, an issue they can't get solved, you know, digitally, then they're there and they're ready to help you and, and give you, provide the service that you need. So that's how we think about it is 
again, make it more friction-free, allow a customer to do as much as possible. But then when they need to talk to somebody, you know, you've got somebody that's extremely knowledgeable and can provide a solution. How has your website changed over the list? It sounds like a prosaic question, but I think it's really interesting because I know the answer a little bit. How is your website today different than your website three years ago? If we can strip out the COVID aspects of that. Uh, it's dramatically different. I mean, again, it's it's gone from just being a pretty basic functional, you know, website that had, you had, you know, few options that you could actually perform till today. You can do pretty much anything online now. Today, you can you can make a payment a number of different ways. If you need a modification, you know, because you can't continue to make your current payment, you can do that online. It has a complete set of tools to help you understand your home. So how much equity do you have in your home? Like, you know, you can immediately look at a, a Zillow or different types of valuation. You know, what's the going on in your neighborhood? What's going on? You know, what's the walk score? What's the, you know, what's happening in your, uh, in your, in your, you know, home and in your neighborhood. And it really informs you as a homeowner with just about every piece of information you need. So, it's gone from basic functionality to exponentially better today to allow you to do anything you can uh, for your mortgage, but also inform you about, you know, for most people, you know, the home's the largest asset that they have. And so having that information at your fingertips, we think is very valuable. So that's for the consumer side, but but for your side, what 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 is different from your either your cost basis of managing these things, if you got real hard numbers on that, surely that was a great investment, but also there must be a continual process to improve that and to learn from, to watch what your customers are doing to try to uh, provide the things that they need in a, in a faster basis to get them off the site, to get their business done and to save you money. Oh yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, we, we grew the portfolio in the last couple of years, you know, 30, 35%. Our costs have gone up, you know, a fraction of that, right? And so it has made a huge difference uh, from a, from an overall cost perspective. You know, we take a million calls a month, and you know, we're on pace to reduce that. It actually, calls where an agent would talk to that person back to what we were talking about earlier, and we think we can get that down to two hundred fifty to to three hundred thousand. And wow! So if you just think about the power of that. Uh, it's, it's a win, win, win. It's a win for the customer. You know, it's a win for our team members because it makes it, you know, so much easier. Uh, and it's certainly a win for our company and the shareholders because we're taking costs out. You know, our last- Yeah, about $21 million in costs out every quarter. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. You know, and in our last call, we talked about our earnings call. Like, look, we think we can take out another 50 million bucks between, you know, now and year in. Uh, so it's impactful. Uh, that's that's got to be interesting work and it's got to have applications that go well beyond the mortgage business. But I would imagine it also lets you, you know, let's go back to the rate conversation, right? So if maybe we're closer to the top than we are to the bottom of rates, you might be planning for a different product for a different market. Maybe if rates uh, even start to go down at some point and you can start to set up a customer service operation that is poised to be efficient in that new market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, and, and this is what's, it is truly fascinating because we can, and we spent a lot of time looking at wh- what type of calls are we receiving and who's calling and what are they calling about? And then once you understand that, you can really then say, okay, I'm going to solve that issue 
you know, in an automated manner, in a digital manner, in a chat manner. And it, and it, again, is a more delightful experience. If you think about a lower rate environment, you're going to have a lot more customers calling in saying, hey, how can I save, you know, you know, go from a 6% rate to a 3% rate? And we're going to be able to, you know, identify that on the front end and then immediately place that customer with, you know, a loan officer or somebody that can help them refinance and, and make and that. It seems like you know a lot about those customers too. Like I, I, I heard one of your executives talking about um, the ability to tell which customers might be likely to do a refi that might be looking at a life event where they want to do a refi. Uh, you probably understand other aspects of your customers' lives that let them know when they got a kid going to college or when they've got a, they're, they're, I don't know, just getting divorced and need to buy a convertible or. Yeah. I mean, we have a massive, I mean, if you think about Airplugs. it, can you hear me? You know, I, I said, uh, they might <laughs> want to buy a convertible or hair plugs or whatever you do oh. <laughs> in that life event. Those big costs. I, I, I could be one of those hair plug guys. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, we have, you know, a, a ton of information around, you know, their home, their payment behaviors, you know, their, um, where they're at from a you know interest rate standpoint. So when does it make sense for them to refinance? How much equity do they have? So you know what it looks like if they wanted to do a cash out refinance. So yeah, the amount of information is is pretty incredible and pretty powerful. And again, the the more we can use that to help them you know manage through their home ownership journey, you know the better. And to your point, it's it makes us a better company all the way around and certainly generates higher profits. I mean, if you go back to the last refinance wave, you know, go back to 2020, uh, you know, we spent most of our time and energy there was helping customers refinance. I mean, we had most of the resources in the company were really focused on helping those customers refinance. So if we got back to that type of environment, you know, it would certainly shift from, kind of all the COVID programs we were talking about earlier and to, all right, how can we help this customer refinance and, you know, save two, three, $400 a month. Well, and when I look out my window here from the, the ferry building here in San Francisco, I see a bunch of buildings that were full of first Republic employees recently, maybe still cleaning <laughs> out their desks. Uh, they're also cleaning out that mortgage book. And I'm sure that you can wash your and repeat on a, a couple of the other banks that have failed uh, as well. Not as big in the mortgage business as Silicon Valley bank, right. uh, signature bank, um, uh, Silvergate, but there are going to be a lot of mortgages for sale here. And banks that want to clean up their balance sheets, that's got to be good for you. It's great for us. I mean, look, this, it's honestly, I've never seen it. It's once in a lifetime, you know, opportunity. We think there's going to be over the next three years, over 4 trillion in, you know, servicing that's actually going to trade. So, you know, and I've been doing this for 30 plus years. I've never seen a market like that. I mean, already this year, you know, we've acquired, uh, you know, we've publicly announced, you know, over $120 billion in portfolio acquisitions. And so it is, you know, it's going to be a real catalyst uh, for, you know, a company like ours that is, you know, so large, has such scale and such capability in servicing. And to your point, there's going to be a massive amount of assets on the market. We wish you luck with that. Jay Bray is the CEO of Mr. Cooper Group. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Thanks for right, Coming up next on The Drill Down the Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about Mr. Cooper Group. 
The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And listeners, we rely on you to get the word out about the Drill Down podcast. If you like this show, and if you've stayed with us this long today, you probably do. Uh, if you like this show, tell a friend or leave a review for us on iTunes uh, and let the rest of the world know what you like about the Drill Down podcast. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with a bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about the Mr. Cooper Group. Isaac Webster back with us as well. And Isaac, uh, interesting uh, Mr. Cooper Group uh, metrics. There's a metric in the world of finance and financial firms, and, and this is certainly one, uh, the ROTCE, or the Return on Common Equity. And essentially it tells you how much financial return uh, is the company is generating when you strip out a lot of other stuff that makes it hard to, to manage. So that number is the one I want to focus on for uh, our bite today. All right. Should I guess a number? No. Okay. You don't have to guess a number, but it's, a, it's essentially think of it as a financial return. So um, uh, this company, which you would have thought, some people not paying too much attention, would have thought higher rates means a worse business. And their return on common equity in the second fiscal quarter of 2022 was 1.3%. Okay. Not very good. All right. Their return, and here's the bite, their return on common equity for the first quarter of 2023, 8.6%. There's your bite, 8.6% return on common equity. So the return on common equity went from 1.3% to 8.6%. That is a leap. That's a leap. A fantastic improvement for this company. Yeah. All right, well, that was Mr. Cooper Group. That was the Drill Down Podcast. That was Isaac Webster, our executive producer. We're grateful for that. Ben Wilson stitches this all together. Our editor extraordinaire, I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.